Before we get into today's episode, I want to share a message from one of our supporters, Charleston University. And that message is all about the government support that is available for undertaking university short courses and may just be what you're looking for to kickstart the next stage of your career. In 2022, this support is available for a range of graduate certificates across national priority areas, including data and IT, health, human services, teaching and education. This means you can take advantage of heavily subsidised course fees across a number of online graduate certificates at Charles Sturt University. From cybersecurity to inclusive education, government-funded places allow you to get a post-grad qualification for less than $2,000. And if you're eligible, you can use HexHelp and pay nothing up front. Search Charles Sturt University Graduate Certificates online. Just go to study.csu.edu.au forward slash graduate dash certificate. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm here with Tyler Lambert, my co-founder on Agenda Media, publisher of Women's Agenda. How are you going? Good, thanks, Ange. On the agenda this week, the big party that may bring down a prime minister, Rio Tinto's sexual assault, shame, leaked text messages, amazing wins in women's sport and much more. Thank you for listening. So here we are in another week, Tyler, and I feel like I can predict your win this week because I know that you have this absolute obsession with Ash Barty, like many of us do. Is that your win this week? Please tell me it is. (laughs) It is. I mean, look, I said in last week's episode, all things Australian Open made me really happy, which is weird because I'm not actually a really strong sports fan. I do like rugby league which is questionable I know but the Australian Open is always I don't know it just feels very nostalgic for me I remember being a kid and this year's tournament just felt so special and Ash Barty's win was just huge and historic and I think the reception she got and being I guess, acknowledged and accoladed by her mentor, Yvonne Gulligan-Cawley, at the end of it, as well as Kathy Freeman, was just so, so beautiful. But there were a couple of other moments during the Australian Open that also made me like get all the feels. One was, you know, Dylan Alcott obviously was named Australian of the Year. Um, he took over from predecessor Grace Tame and during his final match, which he unfortunately didn't win, she was in the crowd watching him and they both have obviously formed this really beautiful relationship and friendship and he paused before his service game to acknowledge her and to tell her that he loved her, which I just I, I just loved so much. And I think both of them are just such incredible role models and in a week that has seen a lot of lesser role models in politics I think seeing examples like that from young Australians is really lovely to see. Yeah I don't know how we get to wins of the week and not actually list race teams (laughs) moment of triumph that she (laughs) did in those photographs with the Prime Minister where she had the I might use the word grace even the grace to be so open with how she felt at that moment when she was posing for those photographs and to 
not for a minute kind of play the part of that photo opportunity and I felt like it was so powerful. It was obviously controversial and plenty of people have had a lot to say but all mm-hmm. power to Grace Tame for, for doing that. Uh, and I think we can all stop policing how women use their faces as well. Perhaps she was perfectly within her rights to do that and I just thought that that was role modeling behavior right there was to show that I am going to be open and upfront with how I feel about how this government has gone and how I feel about this man particularly and how I feel in this moment, you know, 12 months into being Australian of the year and everything that's gone on this past year and how this person has responded to those things, which is frankly absolutely poorly. So well done to Grace Tame there. I know, I know. Look, it's she had quite the year. And I I agree with you. I think in that moment she was just so authentic and it would have been weird for her to stand there with the stand that she's taken and with how fierce she's been and how honest she's been with how the government has failed victims of sexual assault to stand next to Scott Morrison and, and smile for publicity shots. I just, I thought it was such a expression of a really honest and authentic human. Yeah. So my win for the week, and I'm sorry I didn't list Grace Tame as a win, I think maybe because it was a little out of this week or perhaps it feels like it was many days ago because being in the news cycle as we are 24 hours a day, everything moves so fast. But I wanted to touch on Theresa May, somebody I hadn't really given much thought to recently until She called out Boris Johnson in the House of Commons this week. So a bit of background for this, if you haven't been following this train wreck of a situation, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is in a spot of bother, as they say. A new report has just been released into (laughs) government parties that uh, Johnson is alleged to have participated in or is believed to have held, I don't know, especially given the fact that they were actually held at number 10 Downing Street and one involves his own birthday. So these parties occurred during COVID restrictions. There have been claims of a bring your own booze event and a number of wine time Fridays. Oh my God. And of course, the issue here is that these occurred while UK restrictions were in force requiring people to stay at home and that was of course during the UK's absolute COVID disaster that they had over there. So understandably these parties, these bring your own booze events and wine time Fridays have annoyed a lot of people in the UK (laughs) and particularly that the PM doesn't appear to have followed the rules or followed the law and has totally failed to set an example. Not to mention the fact that he's the Prime Minister. So surely if you're having a party, people don't need to bring their own booze to Number 10 Downing Street. I mean, how cheap are you? (laughs) I like that that is your biggest issue with this. Like, an understandable, like you would think that when you rock up to Number 10 Downing Street that you would at least get the alcohol catered for, especially when you're rocking up potentially illegal. Yeah, I mean, like, that's just poor (laughs) etiquette. It's like, you know, Morrison and his holidays. I just think, like, you're only Prime Minister for a certain period of time. Sure, that period of time will be a few years, and sure, I understand that you need to let your hair down and you need to go on a holiday and maybe you need to celebrate your birthday, whatever. But during that time, especially during a crisis, like, I wasn't managing a crisis during our own lockdowns here But I was still okay with the fact that I didn't need to attend a party. And you just think, if you're going to take that position, if you're going to 
hold these positions, especially during a crisis, then you have to just go, yep, it's a sacrifice that I will make that I don't need to participate in boozy celebrations right now. Anyway, leaving that aside, I was talking about Theresa May. So Sue Gray, first of all, senior civil servant Sue Gray has released this report into the parties and found a failure of leadership and judgment in the fact that they were held. Theresa May has called out Boris Johnson in the House of Commons, basically saying, you know, which one is it? Did you fail to read the rules? Did you fail to understand the rules or did you blatantly choose to ignore the rules? I suspect it was the latter. And it just got me wondering about the whole, you know, we've been talking a lot about the glass cliff situation, or at least we were a few years back. And Theresa May, she was appointed to this glass cliff situation. So the glass cliff is the theory that a woman is appointed to a role when things are basically really shit. It's the time when people are willing to take a risk on somebody different, on a woman perhaps. And in May's case, that all occurred during Brexit negotiations. May took on that role of Prime Minister. She had never voted in favour of Brexit, but she said from day one, you know, that's what the British people voted for, therefore I'm going to continue to pursue these negotiations. And those negotiations didn't go to a plan. May was removed from that position. Johnson comes in. And what do you get? You get this. You get failures of leadership and judgment. So I don't know. It just all brought it full circle for me. I just thought it is a really interesting situation and I'm trying to imagine Gladys Berejiklian, <laughs> what would have happened if we all found out that she'd been boozing it up every Friday <laughs> during <laughs> New South Wales lockdown? Oh, Daniel Andrews, can you imagine <laughs> if he, can you imagine the Herald Sun on the back of Daniel Andrews if he'd been like found to be holding birthday celebrations and anyway. Yeah, it would not have gone down a treat. There would be yes. no more I stand with Dan, that's for sure. So speaking of Gladys Berejiklian, so this is a nice little segue. So, Tyler, have you ever had your text messages leaked to the media? <laughs> I'd like to think I was that important, but unfortunately I don't think that I they were. I, I know some things that were not fine. But... <laughs> yeah. You'd find some quite mean ones to my partner at times when he fails to bring home bread and milk and and whatnot. But no, I haven't had my text messages leaked. But I think this case is so interesting. And the way that the Liberal Party and Scott Morrison is now trying to frame it and justify it is also very amusing. I mean, I'm sure most people have heard what the story is. Yesterday during a press conference, Scott Morrison was kind of ambushed by Peter Van Onselen about these alleged leaked text messages that Van Onselen says that he has access to between Gladys Berejiklian and a federal cabinet minister. He hasn't disclosed who the federal cabinet minister is yet, but apparently in this text exchange or various text exchanges, Berejiklian referred to Prime Minister Scott Morrison as a horrible, horrible person and her counterpart referred to him as a complete psycho. They also alleged that he was more preoccupied with politics than people and there were various other things as well. I think during the bushfires, Berejiklian had messaged this minister and and said, Um, how disappointed she was and how gutted she was in the handling of the bushfire crisis. So it's really damning for Scott Morrison as the leader of the federal Liberal Party and obviously the country. 
that this has happened and he it also like kind of makes a mockery of the fact that he has previously referred to Gladys Berejiklian as a as a dear friend and kind of tried to make out that they were on really good terms when a lot of the time throughout the pandemic we could see clearly that that wasn't the case but even now he seems to be kind of doubling down on that kind of line of attack and and saying you know, of course we're still friends. You know, people have these disagreements. If I'm not sure if these are, are real text messages, but people are human, people say things, blah, blah, blah. At not one point has he or anyone in his government to this point said anything to the fact that that points to his character. And if people are saying that about him, direct colleagues are saying that about him, it is quite damning about the person that he is and how he's perceived by his colleagues and I know that she's part of the state government but still it's still part of the same party and does that speak to a broader problem of kind of ruptures within the government and I you know obviously this happened yesterday I know Scott Morrison is the king of just pretending things aren't happening you know nothing to see here kind of attitude but I don't see how he's going to get out of this one. I I think that this is the beginning of the end for ScoMo and a leadership spill or coup is is pretty imminent. What do you think? Oh, prediction there. I guess it's I mean, it's not really the killing season, but I was talking about this yesterday with a few people and we kind of thought back to the last election and it wasn't quite this close to the election that you know Malcolm Turnbull was ousted from the role with Scott Morrison becoming his replacement it was maybe what six months or so but I mean I guess if you were in the Liberal Party you'd kind of look at that and think well that didn't hurt them that much so maybe now's the time to do it again I feel like Australians are actually kind of you know we've come to get used to the fact that leaders will shift but it's just first of all like the replacement options are not great but secondly <laughs> I find it frustrating when so much else has occurred over the past few years that should have been pause for those in the party to think about you know ousting the leader but here we are just months out weeks out from an election and it happens now because they say that there's no other option but pity the country that has to put up with this level of leadership for years now that no one was willing to sort of address or think about or do anything in previous times so it takes this but I might say like for Gladys Berejiklian like I feel like she might want to start having more of her conversations like you know noting social distancing and all that kind of thing but maybe have the conversations in person because there's been a lot (laughs) like there's been a lot of you know there's been these things phones tapped um i think like maybe if you're going to comment on someone's character albeit please go and do that but i don't know if you were gladys berejiklin you'd be thinking like twice about using your phone at all right (laughs) i mean maybe she wanted him to know though who knows with this one but yeah i mean i agree with you i think it's very slim pickings in the coalition for who would take over from Morrison. We were debating whether it would be potentially Frydenberg or Dutton this morning. We're talking Prime Minister Peter Dutton. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's where we're at at the moment. It's not a great scenario, but I don't really see how there's any way out for Morrison. Either he calls an early election and 
he loses that election is my prediction and I'm sure there are like maybe this is kind of wishful thinking in a sense but alternatively I think he he kind of holds out till May or there's a leadership spill and the election's held in May I'm I'm not sure that their outcome is going to be any different you know we're only a few months out from that now and I just feel like the last at least kind of 12 to 18 months perhaps longer there's just been a steady stream of shit that has flown at this government and I really don't think that Australians are willing to cop it anymore. We shall see. Okay, so on to something very different. So this was news that broke yesterday afternoon and I saw this kind of come up on on ABC News as I had it on in the background while I was working and I just I, I felt like my heart sank because I just feel like every few months we see a new report into something rather, whether it's into Parliament House or whether it's into certain organisations and we just uncover these things about sexual harassment and sexual assault and these huge numbers of people who are impacted. So yesterday's report came from Rio Tinto. So Rio Tinto employs around 45,000 people. This is huge. This is a massive organisation. This is a massive employer. So in their own report, 50% of workers said that they had been bullied, harassed or racially discriminated against This was in a survey of 10,000 employees, basically as an external review that occurred of its workplace culture. So Rio Tinto came out and said that to every person who has suffered, we are very sorry. We're working with people across our business to ensure that change happens. Around 30% of women said they'd experienced sexual harassment. And then just the, like, this is the the real kicker, but like around, like was 21 women reported actual or attempted rape or sexual assault over the past five years so I just that makes my heart sink and the CEO came out and described the report as deeply disturbing and that he hadn't realized how much bullying exists in the company and how systematic it is I mean I might say well now you do know about it so you absolutely need to do something about it the report was done by Liz Broderick who's issued 26 recommendations and she noted having a number of conversations I think there are around 100 conversations or so She said that the majority of female respondents said that they experienced everyday sexism, including being excluded from meetings, not being provided with female toilets, being asked to take notes and get coffee, and even at one point as somebody told her that she'd been asked to do a colleague's washing. And so I just, all this is going on at Rio Tinto. First of all, I might say that this is a company that has at least done a report. How many other major employers out there who don't do the report. I mean, we think about this, I think about this in comparison to the gender pay gap as well, because that is, again, something where CEOs come out and say, I didn't realise there was a gender pay gap. And you think, well, you know, at least I've done the audit. Something has to happen, the audit has to happen, or you'll never know. But I think about Rio Tinto and how hard it tries to get women into its workforce and into its upper ranks the programs it participates in, the massive recruitment campaigns it runs, the marketing messages, the targets it has in place. I just looked up the stats and 60% of its graduates are female. Like that is remarkable. The company is trying to adjust the numbers upwards by obviously starting at the bottom of the pipeline and it clearly knows how much work it has to do. Only 19% of its entire workforce is female. But then to think all that work comes unstuck because of its own culture like it it starts there all this work 
all this money that goes into these campaigns, all these women who go there and pursue these incredible careers thinking that they're going to be part of this change and this shift in culture, they come up against a culture like this. Rio Tinto has, like, like I say, they've at least done the report. There'd be so many other companies who have exactly the same issues going on, if not worse, who don't do the report, who may not even think about doing the report and undertaking these investigations. But, like, what is going on when we're talking about trying to get women into male-dominated areas and they get there and they're putting up with these kind of issues that just haven't been addressed that are still occurring? Mm. I mean... This report in particular is very devastating. I mean, the statistics around it, the level of discrimination and bullying that is happening, racial vilification is really, really, really concerning. I echo what you're saying about Rio Tinto because I think it is encouraging to know that they've done the report and, as Liz Broderick noted, they've begun processes to work through this as well. And I guess you can't really expect more from companies than doing that. I mean, this culture has obviously been allowed to thrive for a long time. It probably stemmed from the fact that they've had a very male-dominated industry and this was the norm. And so now, now that needs to be reversed. It's really confronting, but I think that is essentially what the work that companies need to do, no matter how damning it looks when this comes to light because obviously there are a lot of media reports around this at the moment. It would be hard to weather this from Rio Tinto's point of view and I suspect that's prohibiting a lot of other employers from doing the groundwork here and making that change. Um, so I think that commending companies when they are doing it is is important but it is it's really worrying that this is so pervasive and it happens across so many particularly male-dominated sectors and we need to do a lot more, especially when we, we know that we do need, you know, diversity, we do need women in these industries. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, with the Rio Tinto, I'm just like, is it Rio Tinto? Is it Australia? <laughs> that's like, I mean, cause especially when you're thinking about how many thousands of people work in these places, how many different sites that they have, how many different types of workplaces that a company like this covers. And you just think, I don't know, is it a company thing or is that just sadly like a reflection of Australia more broadly? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So you can go and check out that story and look more into some of those findings that is on our website. And you can also, we also linked to the report by Liz Broderick where you can see the recommendations that she has made. So Tyler, I think that wraps up the week thus far and our conversation for today do you want to leave us on a final recommendation or are you all okay to close the conversation and not share anything that you've been reading watching or listening to from the past few days recommendations not so much but I think it's just been another busy week in politics and I think there's a lot going on at the moment and we should all be kind of keeping watch closely of of what will transpire in in days to come one quote that I loved that I'll just share quickly was from Laura Tingle this week in op-ed that she wrote which was looking at the two major parties and political leaders and she said that if Anthony Albanese's biggest problem is that people don't know him Scott Morrison's biggest problem is that people do and I just thought that was an absolute sums it all up really 
what a line <laughs> to have said about your character. Wow. Like that just, that, that that's not really the legacy <laughs> that you'd want to leave behind, is it? That's, that's not very nice. That is not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I suspect Laura Tingley is not Scott Morrison's, uh, you know, biggest fan, but let's. <laughs> wow. That's like some cutting, like, oh, yeah. All right. Well, I will. I have a recommendation. I don't really get to watch much uh, television, but the other night I randomly watched a movie. It was on Binge. It was called The Fallout. I had to literally go and check out my phone to remember the name of it. Not because it was a bad movie. It was actually really good. But it was one of those ones where, you know, at midnight when you can't sleep and you start scrolling something to watch and I just randomly stumbled upon this. Um, It was a film by, it's only just been released, a film by Megan Park and it's about uh, friendships in high school. It has one, you know, about a key central character and it's about the fallout from a high school shooting so you don't – if I'd kind of known it was about the fallout from a high school shooting, I would not have watched this, but um, the, the little blurb was about tragic circumstances, so it didn't specify that. Now, I'm not giving too much away about the movie because that shooting happens in the first five minutes and you don't see anything particularly graphic, but you feel the sheer terror of that moment with that. And what I liked about this movie, it was just really powerful. It was very subtle in its power, but it just talked about – know what happened to this young woman in those weeks and months following this shooting um and how her friendships changed how her behavior changed how her thoughts and feelings about the world changed um how she reacted and oh god it was so powerful and the ending of it was just left me just shattered and you'd have to Go and watch the movie to see it. I mean, I kind of speak to this movie as if, like, you wouldn't want to watch it if you're in a bad place or something, but it wasn't actually like that. Actually, the characters are really warm and interesting and the girl who plays the central character is incredible in the role and her character is so likeable. Like, I just would love to have her as my own daughter or to just have her in your life in some way or to, like, have friendships like that they have. So... Um, yeah, go and check that one out. I really enjoyed it. You brought so, it. You brought it round you. for me. I didn't like. I didn't like your description at first. I wasn't. I wasn't going to do That's it. That's what I said. If I'd seen High School Shooting, there's no way I would have watched it. So, but I'm glad I did. So, thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can catch up on all the issues and the stories that we discussed on womensagenda.com.au, where you can also subscribe to our daily newsletter and get these stories as we write them. Thank you.